Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Tech Reformation, where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. I'm Derek. I'm Craig. And I'm Chris. This week we're going to be talking about uh, fear and social media, as well as talking about how the internet has affected free speech and what do we do about it. So without further ado, let's get started. Psalm 37. Uh, I was reading Psalm 37 the other day, and essentially it's about fear and uh, not fretting. Um, and it just, it really hit me. I'm a very, I'm a very fearful person. I, uh, I've, a lot of my biggest errors I've made, uh, I can chalk it up to choosing to make the wrong decision or failing to make the right decision uh, based out of fear. Um and my wife's over here next to me confirming. Uh, <laughs> Just nodding her head vigorously. <laughs> yeah, no, she, uh, this is something we've been talking about a lot recently. Uh-huh. And um, so Psalm 37 verse 8, uh, it just like, it, I'm reading through this, it, it just like hit me like a baseball bat. Uh, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. Um, so it, it's not so much that like, like anger, like be angry and do not sin. It's fear only leads to evil doing. And it was just, it really, it really took me back. Um, and I, so personally I thought, you know, how, how are my decisions based out of fear? But then I thought on a broader scheme, um, what is the narrative we tell ourselves about the world, uh, when it comes to fear? Um, and, you look at the news, you look at social media specifically, and the things that get the greatest uh, circulation is bad news. Oh, you know, yeah, hear, for sure. We get, you know, the, the police brutality. We have this, uh, what's the guy's name uh, that that's sexually assaulted all the... Oh, uh, Harvey Weinstein. And, Harvey Weinstein. And like yeah. 14 others. Yeah, and then so we have these things occurring, and mm-hmm. they do occur. And I don't want to say, first off, I don't, one, I don't want to say I'm undermining any of these things. These are horrible, terrible things. Right, right, of course. Um, and I am, I actually have to like skim past these articles because it just brings me so much rage. But um, and on the other side, I also want to say I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat against social media. I'm still on Facebook. I'm still on Instagram. I get on Twitter like every two months. Uh, social media is a good and fantastic thing when used uh, for the right purposes. But um, we are fed a story, and we can either just believe that story at face value, uh, or we can think about it and put it in perspective and use real context. Um, and so, if you if you search pretty much any uh, any graph on crime, on crime rate over the past 20 years, let's say 1980s, uh, till today, you'll see that crimes go down significantly. Mm-hmm. All crime has gone down significantly. But if it, I imagine the things that I was able to do as a child, the freedom I had as a child to do certain things, I couldn't ever imagine giving my son that freedom and not getting backlash from a parent, <laughs> you know, not yeah. the general public, not telling me I'm a negligent parent. And then my son should be taken away from me because he could be abducted, uh, because X, Y, Z, 
when, you know, child abduction has gone down as we, you know, so I've been just kind of trying to process how, how do we take this information? What do we do with this information? Um, and how do we use it not to live our lives in fear? Uh, but also put it in the proper context of how do we live our lives to address the things that need to be addressed um, to the glory of God, to minister to the people who need to be ministered to. Uh, and, you know, it even plays into like these these trends that we see happening. I know you guys talked about the whole Me Too, um, the hashtag Me Too trend that happened recently yep. and yep. how um, – this is an issue that needs to be brought to awareness. This is something that needs attention. But when, for lack of a better term, you flood the market, it almost takes its weight away. It almost mm-hmm. makes it not the strength. It's like, it oh, becomes so. becomes trivial because exactly. it's so much of it. Yeah. It almost becomes watered down and we all want to be a part of it. But then, uh, how do the rest of us respond to this uh, is kind of where I'm leading off. And I really don't have any answers because this is something I'm processing. I'm currently processing. And I know it has a lot to do with, you know, how we interact on the internet, what we see, what we choose to read, um, what we choose to share. Um, am, Am I feeding into the narrative that there's nothing but evil to be seen? Uh, am I, feeding into the narrative that evil exists and we need to fight it, but there's also things that we can glorify God about, that we need to praise God about, that we need to rejoice in and be excited about. Um, and it's it's easy to get depressed. It's easy to get uh, feel defeated. Mm-hmm. But if that's the only story we're telling is a story of fear, a story of evil in the world, we're only telling the first part of the gospel, right? We're saying sin has entered the world, period, end of story. We're screwed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, is that, that's not the full story. There's, you know, sin has entered the world, but Christ. And we have something to rejoice about. And every day there's something to rejoice about. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I just had this thought process the other day about something else. Uh, if you've ever seen black mirror, um, it's this TV show that has come out. Well, it's been out for a while. It's kind of, you've probably heard of it. Um, it takes a very twilight zony look at the world of technology, you know, looking into the future, you, you know, you create this dystopian future, which looks perfect on the outside. But then, you know, there's always this twist that, like, <gasps> it's actually terrible and awful, and people are horrible. And there, there's a very – I'm not going to say it's fear-mongery, because I'm, I, I haven't watched that many episodes. I do know some of the premise. But my wife actually introduced me to – I guess it was an episode in season four that just came out that was actually took a positive spin on it, which is – you know, kind of uncharacteristic for Black Mirror. And I was like, yeah, that's actually, there we go. There's the other part of the gospel. Everything, because that, the fact that everybody is, uh, that that everything is terrible or that can be terrible is true, but it's it's only half of it. It's not telling the whole story. It's good to, it's good to find the redemptive nature of, 
um, what's going on and, and like the, the, the fear mongery stuff in social media is not the end all be all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you guys seen, uh, Mr. Robot? Not yet. I've heard very good things. No. Oh, it's really good, but it's, it's the same thing. This guy just drives himself mad in obsession with taking down a giant evil corporation. Oh yeah. And yeah, <laughs> for, you know, to, to, that's that's all I'm gonna say because I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> There's all these little twists in there, but oh yeah, um, I th- I think yeah, you raise an interesting point, Chris, and I like the fact that you said that you're it's something that you're still sort of uh, working through. Um, I think it's I sort of feel similarly, although I guess one question I would have is like, do you actually have you actually noticed a direct correlation between what you see on social media and the like a real sense of fear that you feel, or is that more like a just a getting down and depressed about the state of the world? Uh, well, I will say the majority of my fear is uh, like a lack of confidence uh, sort of thing. Like <laughs> today I just, so I just started working at Ligonier. Um, awesome job. I love it. Congratulations um, by the way. <laughs> so, thank you. So this was my first week. Um, and then Friday was our monthly staff devotions. Um, and so I, I walk into the fellowship hall and I don't know anybody and I'm just standing there and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go get a coffee because <laughs> I'm too like what, you know, these are ligand. This is ligonier. Like this is, I am at the Mecca of, you know, Presbyterian ministry. <laughs> um, who's going to want to talk to me, you know? Um, and so it took a lot in me to break out of that and introduce myself to people and talk to people and feel like, oh, this person actually does care to hear, you know, where I'm from and why I'm here and this, that, and the other. Um, and so a lot of that is you know, my self-image, who I am in Christ. You know, do am, am I of value uh, inherently? You know, yes, I'm imago Dei. I'm, I'm made in the image of God. I have inherent value. Um, and... I have value in Christ. Um, but when I see a lot of these things on social media, I fear I fear mostly, I would say, for my son. Um, we've seen a lot of things where, like, my wife saw this video of, um, not a, well, it was a news article about a, a biracial kid who, he was like eight, right, babes? And there were these teenagers who started calling him racial slurs and they hanged him and the kid got it, got out of the noose, you know, was able, you know, they walked away, so they left him. yeah, they, they hanged him and left. Mm-hmm. And then he got out, he didn't die. He suffered all these injuries, but, and then these Caucasian kids get protected by the police. They say, Oh, you know, let's, they're just kids, you know, kids will be kids. Um, yeah. But, but my my wife's Peruvian. I'm white as it gets. Uh, and so, <laughs> but we we have a biracial son, so it hit, hits close to home. And our initial reaction is okay. We need to we need to we our initial reaction is we're, we're going to homeschool. All right, we're going to yeah. you know take our take our kid out of those situations where he could be put put him in a bubble. Exactly, mm-hmm. put him in yeah. a bubble. Yeah. You know, we continue to talk about it and continue to say you know. This stuff does exist, but this was this doesn't happen every day. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen in every city. Yep. This doesn't happen in every neighborhood, but it does happen. Yeah. This is something we can 
we need to keep an eye out for, but this shouldn't dictate the decisions we make in our lives and for our child. So are we going to homeschool? Yes. Is the only reason we're going to homeschool is because this kid got hanged? No, that's not the only reason. You know, we we sat down in prayer and based on reason and rationale, we've decided to go with homeschooling. But it's so easy to fall into that, okay, protection. You know, it's so easy for me to, I'm scared of what people are going to think about me, so I'm going to close in, I'm going to protect, I'm just going to get a coffee and pretend like I'm doing something so nobody talks to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's... You check your emails on your phone a hundred times, even though there's yes. nothing in your inbox, but you <laughs> yeah. need to look like you're doing something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think I've certainly, um, throughout my life, struggled with, at times, with uh, anxiety and um, worry and, I guess, fear to an extent as well. Um, there was a period probably four or five years ago, maybe maybe three or four years ago, I don't know, um, where I was, I was just having a really tough time with it, actually, um, and... I remember I've like I haven't even read the the book about like praying the psalms and whatever yet but I plan on doing that um because one of the things that really helped me um get through it was kind of preaching to myself a section of uh Psalm 43 which isn't coincidentally isn't far along from where we started in Psalm 37 um but there's a section that says send out your light and your truth let them lead me let them br- bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy uh, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so that like that section that starts with like, um, I'm oppressed, but I want God to send out his light, his truth ahead of me um, to lead me. And then it finishes with um, sort of talking to your own soul, like why are you cast down, um, hope in God. So the answer to being cast down is to put our hope in the right place, which is in God. Uh, and that's sort of... Um, was like a transformative, like when I sort of kept telling myself that, that I actually sort of got got rid of a whole bunch of the fear and anxiety that I had previously been feeling. So um, I, th- I think it's super important to, like you said, be aware of it. There's stuff that goes on that's hard to deal with. Um, but there's also, like you said, but God, you know, God has stepped in. Uh, and so we do have a hope that goes beyond the difficult stuff that comes at us, even when it's horrible stuff and, um, pretty prevalent on social media and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's there's a reason that we go to church every Sunday. There's a reason that we have the Sabbath. I'm not a Sabbatarian, but I'm just saying there's a reason we have the Sabbath. There's a reason we weekly need to hear the gospel. It's because we we tell ourselves a story, right? And our subconscious believes that story. So if we're constantly telling our subconscious that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and that, you know, we're just going to end up in World War III and you know, Trump's going to drop a bomb on North Korea and North Korea is going to drop a bomb on us and it's just going to go, you know, whatever. Then we're going to live and our everything we, we see is going to be filtered through that and perceived through that. And so, uh, you know, social media doesn't control that story that we tell ourselves but it can influence it and we can let it influence us or we can filter it through the gospel. Our sponsor this week is Valley Vintage Shop, where you can get soaps, balms, and oils made the vintage way. Whatever you need in the realm of skin or hair care, Valley Vintage has you covered with all natural homemade products. 
There are products for beard care for the fellows, hair serums and balms for the ladies, room and body sprays, lip balm, and way more. And all of their merchandise is packaged in recyclable material, so you're taking care of your environment as you take care of yourself. To get some to try, go to valleyvintageshop.com and use our code TECH for 10% off your order. Thank you to Valley Vintage for sponsoring this week of Tech Reformation. Um, okay, so my topic this week kind of follows on, in some ways, uh, pretty well dovetails with Chris's uh, and also is a little bit of a follow-up to what we spoke about, I think it was two episodes ago now, where we were talking about the Christian Daily Reporter and uh, Adam Ford's decision to create uh, essentially a news website that is kind of off the grid. So, it's on the grid in terms of being online, but it's um, completely not optimized for social media or search engines and is barely optimized for humans. Uh, and so, <laughs> we... I can't take credit for that. That was the episode title. Uh, <laughs> so, this article is kind of in a similar vein, but um, we've covered a bit of free, free speech stuff before. Uh, the title of this one, this article that I was reading on wired.com um, is, it's we're in the democracy poisoning age of, uh, golden age of free speech. So, uh, basically looking at the idea that we should be in, um, and we sort of tell ourselves that we are in the golden age of free speech. We have, uh, we don't need to rely on on um, expensive infrastructure to uh, get messages out anymore. It's um, it's very easy for people to self publish and to uh, spread their ideas or their uh, whatever they want to say to the world uh, pretty far and wide in some ways. Um, but they there's also an aspect to the way that I guess our infrastructure that we do have operates, that means that the freedom that we think we have isn't necessarily all that free, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, So, they kind of, the the article kind of kicks off with the idea that in general throughout the modern historical period, there's been sort of a sort of a set number of ways of limiting the spread of information, uh, which is basically censorship. So, if there's a newspaper producing stuff, you can... um, Influence the newspaper, shut them down, uh, you know, make sure they can't do business as well or whatever, you know, attack them in some way or, or pressure them in some way so that they have to change the way that they're doing things. Um, you can put pressure on someone who's a broadcast chief in a television station or something. You can uh, put people in publishing houses to censor uh, material that's going out in, in terms of editing it and stuff like that. Um, or they have an example of holding a gun to an announcer's head, which apparently happened in Turkey somewhere. Um, but then they go into talking about like we have all these ways of getting information out, but we also have some of the stuff that Chris was talking about with, uh, you know, fake news and um, sort of algorithm-driven uh, information gathering. So the the information that we do have access to is the information that we are told that we probably should be interested in based on um, Facebook and Google and Twitter's, uh, you know, ways of going about. Um, discovering what they think will be most interesting to people or pushing their agenda of what, what they think is is best for people to be reading. Um, and obviously, we all know that their core business is actually not helping us to be informed, but to sell ads to businesses anyway. So, there's kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, also a commercial aspect aspect to that. Um, so, it kind of talks about the whole censorship idea that, that used to exist and used to be sort of fairly common uh, is now about playing with people's trust and attention spans instead of actually stopping. So, people can say anything on the internet for the most part. Occasionally, there's shadow bans and Facebook 
you know, kicks people off and things like that. But you can generally say pretty much whatever you want. Uh, and then it's out there. But uh, there is they ha- these platforms that we rely on um, have ways of kind of playing without uh, distracting our attention or uh, making us not trust the things that we're reading. Uh, and that's kind of a new way of censor- censorship, I suppose. Um, but then towards the end of the article is where it got quite interesting for me because we know there's a lot of problems in that area and um, we've just talked about some of that in the last topic. Uh, but they talk about the fact that we're kind of um, at this point in history where whenever there's been these sort of big revolutions before, it's taken a, sort of a decent period of time after that for society to kind of adjust to the new thing and work out how to use it in a way that's actually healthy and helpful um, rather than just kind of going gangbusters on it and then actually destroying things in the process. So kind of learning the rules, if you like, of of the new technology. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess we're kind of, we're right in the middle of when that's happening. And at the moment, it sometimes feels like there are no rules. And so it's not happening very well. Um, there are rules, but they're just rules put in place by Facebook and Twitter and Google mm-hmm. <laughs> that we don't have any control over. Um, so the, the sort of the very crux of the article at the end says the rules and incentive structures underlying how attention and surveillance work on the internet need to change. But in fairness to Facebook, Google and Twitter, while there's a lot they could do better, the public outcry demanding they f- that they are the ones who fix all the problems is fund- fundamentally mistaken. There are a few solutions to the problems of digital discourse that don't involve huge trade-offs, and those are not choices for Mark Zuckerberg alone to make. These are deeply political decisions. We just need to start the discussion now. And so what I want to ask you guys and, and sort of chat through is how can this work? Like we know the problems that exist online and on social media. We know the problems with information dissemination and fake news. Um and even even just with you know liberal agendas being elevated above um, anything else and all that kind of thing, but ha- ha- is it possible to have some kind of uh, rule structure? Who does that? Who is in charge of that? How do we, as Christians, obviously, like we we should be involved in culture to an extent. We should be involved in politics where we can to influence things for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we do that in a, in an environment which is a subset of our lives, I guess, mm. in, a, in terms of online, which seems to be so heavily controlled by the commercial sector and not actually have any proper boundaries outside of that, if you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. This is, this is a tough one because um, I, I took a look at the article. I didn't read it in full because it was massive. But um, <laughs> this is something my wife and I were sort of talking about. Um, but it's tough because this, it's so, I I don't know. I think it's just an American thing where like, we just say, oh, there should be, there should be a law for that. (laughs) That that should be against the law. And it's like, you step back and it's like, no, the government should not have that much control. Um, and then you've got all these amendments to the, to the constitution and stuff anyway, that make half the laws not valid. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Dirty libertarian. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know. It's if you if you want it to be inefficient and screwed up, let the government do it. Um, but <laughs> that's cool. So it, let me in the context of my wife and I were talking about it. Uh, just kind of going off on a side story. But um, grow, she grew up in Peru, um, and while she was growing up, there was uh, this this communist activist group called Sendero Luminoso, the Shining Path. Um, 
<laughs> and it was they were a communist terrorist group. They wanted to turn the country communist, and they would uh, plant pipe bombs. They would drive buses into apartment buildings, and um, it's the world my wife grew up in. It blows my mind just when we were talking about it. But um, the point I'm trying to get at is there was this uh, – I was watching this documentary of how the, the president – and like 72 um, <clears throat> ambassadors uh, got held hostage in the the president uh, presidential building, whatever their White House is, um, for for months uh, by this communist terrorist group. And one of the uh, they they had like this document of their demands and stuff. And so one of the ambassadors asked. One of the communist guy, the one of the communists have. Have you read this? And he goes, "No, I know what it says, though." And he goes, "Why haven't you read it?" He goes, "I can't read." And I think the problem starts not with the distribution of the information, but the consumption of the information, um, because throughout all of history, we've had access to crazy people. And crazy people have had some form of platform. Like, this is nothing new. Well, yeah. Crazy. Like, in, in the article, it's referenced that in the past, it has take, g- taken generations for humans to develop. This is a direct quote. In, in the past, it has taken generations for humans to develop political, cultural, and institutional antibodies to the novelty and upheaval of previous information revolutions. An example it gives is two movies, The Birth of a Nation and The Triumph of the Will, which if they came out now, they would totally flop. But they debuted when film was still in its infancy, and their innovative use of the medium helped fuel the mass revival of the Ku Klux Klan and the rise of Nazism. So, yeah, I would contest the same thing. The problem is here is not necessarily Facebook, but how we choose to ingest information. And because Facebook responds to how we are ingesting it. If we were ingesting it differently, Facebook would do it differently. The, the, the fact is that, uh, yeah, when you mentioned that this is not Facebook's problem to solve, this is everybody's problem to solve because this is a new medium. This is something that requires, like, this is a new era of information. This requires everyone to come together and figure out what in the world we're going to do about this. This is why I have a problem with people jumping so quickly to... Uh, like examples of Big Brother, like saying, "Oh, it's 1984. We're, we're it's it's going to happen. Everybody's going to be banned that disagrees with the popular opinion of everything," um, because God is still in control of this stuff. Unless your eschatology is super, like, um, is super in the like everything must go completely downhill, and then God will come back. I mean. you have to assume that God is not going to let this world burn. This world is here for us. This world is going to be renewed and uh, we are going to live in it for eternity. Um, So having, I I think that perspective is so important when we, when we talk about these frankly, very minor issues when it comes to the scope of history. Um, So, uh, but like things like Christian, Christian daily reporter, I think those are 
are good political tools to say, hey, this is this is a statement I think about how social media is is treating people like me. This is not uh, this is to push back against that. I don't I don't see him disengaging from the conversation. I see him engaging in it, which is really what we have to do as fellow human beings and as Christians. And kind of going back to my roots here, I think the source of fixing this is family, is how are we raising the next generation? Yeah, definitely. Now, we're in a generation where we were given the internet at the same time our parents were given the internet. I knew more about the internet in a month's time than my parents did, you know, and we also are in a generation where uh, divorce has been just ravaged families. And we have, I mean, we're seeing, you know, we ha- the, the, the sexual revolution and everything that's happening right now, I'm convinced is sourced out of broken, broken homes. Um, so we as Christians uh, need to keep making more little Christians and training them up and teaching them how to apply scripture and how to apply the gospel to this world. Mm-hmm. Be in the world, but not of the world. Um, it's it's so simple, and but I just feel like we have we've kind of come to you know we kind of come from a generation where uh, they expect the school system to teach us, or they expect Sunday school to teach us, or mm-hmm. they expect you know they they want to hand it off on someone else. We as parents need to just man up, and even <laughs> even if your kid is in public school or private school or not homeschooled, or if your kids. Uh, you know, going to Sunday school, like we, we need to disciple our children and teach them how to use the tools and get them to the point where they can responsibly, the next, you know, when the next technological revolution comes out uh, and we are completely ignorant of it, our children will know how to jump into it, mm-hmm. use it and be responsible and apply it and not let it consume them. And actually, I would argue for parents to uh, listen to their kids, too, and and see how they use stuff and, like, learn from them. Because they're going to know – my kids are going to know way better how to use social media than I will because Mm -hmm. they're going to grow up in it and grow up in the culture and understand the intricacies of it. Yeah, There's almost this collaboration that I think can happen in a healthy Christian home where you have the – the intuition of a child can be really useful when when paired with the wisdom of the adult, um, mm-hmm. and and that's that's kind of a little soapbox I have on the side, but I, f- I figured it was worth <laughs> mentioning. Yeah, no, I, I completely uh, yeah. agree. I completely agree as well. I think I think the article is probably getting at something slightly different, which is more yeah. about um, putting like some kind of like Chris was talking about laws, like putting some kind of third party or like universal measure in place not not to not so that we don't have to think about how to use it like that's still always going to and teach our children how to use it that's always going to be a responsibility that we have as as parents and as christian parents um but i think yeah i think it's more getting at like is there some way that that the internet can have some kind of agreed boundaries to how how we tackle things like um what's true and what's not and all that kind of thing but at the same time, uh, I guess the the core problems that we face online are things that 
our children will be able to get, and we can also navigate if we um, think about them the right way. And and obviously, like you said, you know, children, our children will have a better handle on that than we do. We have a better handle handle on that than our parents do. So, um, a lot of it is, I guess, like you said, about sort of learning and then um, having those having those parameters and those boundaries yourself and teaching that to your family. If you would like to connect with us, you can join our community in Slack at slack.techreformation.com. That's where we get a bulk of our, um, you know, talking back and forth with listeners, uh, getting ideas for finding ideas, get a ton of pushback. Um, that's a great place to go and speak your mind. You can also visit our website, techreformation.com, search for past shows and look through the back catalog or uh, contact us on Twitter at Tech Reformation if you want to chat that way as well. And if you want to uh, go talk to Chris, thanks, thanks, Chris, for being a special guest this week. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. You can hit him up on Instagram at Orsini Chris. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. And I ain't looking back.